Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. How's everybody this morning? Hey, you all look good. In the early service, it looked like a picture of the church split. Everybody was afraid to sit at the tables. I had a group over here and a group up. Y'all look good. Hey, ladies, we are ready for you tonight. Tonight is the ladies' Christmas tree, and it's going to be amazing. So hopefully you got signed up. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be a beautiful time for our ladies. And, uh, man, we've got some people serving. If you want to come and serve uh, the ladies, pour their tea and take care of their trash when they're finished, you want to join us in that, you can come on. That's cool. Uh, but we will put you to work. It's going to be a great evening. And uh, I just want to do, give a shout-out. Uh, if you are connected, affiliated uh, to Powell High School, maybe as a coach, a teacher, a resident, a student, Oh, they won the state championship. That's pretty cool, amen? Uh, Dan is one of our members, and he's one of the coaches over there, and uh, he won't talk to you. He has no voice. I understand why, but it was, it was cool, and that's a great accomplishment. It's very, very difficult to pull that off. And uh, so also, I just want to say, uh, I am so glad you are here. I hope you're glad you, the Lord allowed you to be in church today. I think we've lost the sense of significance of just faithful church attendance, man. It's just like, yeah, come or go, take it or leave it. That's wrong. I just don't think that's right. I am convicted and have been so for over 40 years that the church is still the instrument of impact and change um, for the world. And that includes, let's just just narrow it down, that's our families. It's significantly important. And so many people have let that go and missed it. And so I am glad you are here. I also want to recognize if you're a guest today, uh, maybe you've been here before, maybe this is your first time, but you've never filled out a, a connection card on the back of your worship guide, if you'll turn that in today, I am going to call you this week and give you free tickets to next week's concert. Nobody even knows I'm doing that. That's pretty cool, right? So turn that in. Now, you members, you've been coming here for two years, don't you turn in that card. You ain't getting nothing free. You're paying like me, Okay. Uh, but you get free tickets, and, and I'll put a plug. That's next weekend is uh, Sanctus Real and Love and the Outcome. That concert is next Sunday evening. And if you've never been to a, a live concert, especially acoustic concert of, of, of a band like that in the church context or setting, it's beautiful and amazing. So I want to encourage you to do that. It's great. Bring your family. Bring your friends. The deal is it's $10 tickets, but you bring your friends, and they get in free. That's pretty cool. And, uh, and if you're a guest today, you get in free. Uh, Merry Christmas. And so uh, that's what's going on. I am, I'm sincerely glad you're here, okay? Sincerely glad you're here. And today we're going to continue in our message talking about Christmas, <clears throat> like getting ourselves ready to experience uh, the celebration of Jesus because that's what Christmas is all about. And quite candidly, that's what our life should be about. So let's just practice a little bit. Let's just celebrate Jesus a little bit. Amen? He's worthy of our celebration. He really is. <clears throat> He's worthy of our celebration. And sometimes we get caught up in the midst of all of the mess of the world and we miss what Christmas is really supposed to be about. And this, the, the title of the two-part message is called A Christmas Mess. And because it's because that's what Jesus enters. We learned a little bit last week and we're going to uh, dig a little deeper this week, unpack it a little bit more, that, that it's the messiness of the world that Jesus came for. And it's so good. And sometimes we miss that. We have these false ideas of what Christmas should be generated by a secular worldview. And sometimes we have a false idea of what the first Christmas was when God wrapped himself in flesh and came down here. 
And we have these ideas that maybe it was just this perfect little environment, you know, and, and, and it's tranquil and quiet and peaceful, and that ain't it. And we're going to see that today. Because I think if we uh, kind of dig around and, and, and do some research and uncover what Christmas was really like back then, it'll help us realize it's okay for our Christmas mess to celebrate Jesus too. And so last week we began with point number one in the genealogies of Jesus, which is really a weird place to be. But there was a point in that, and it was point number one, Christmas includes the messy. And in looking at those genealogies, maybe for the first time, you might have realized that it includes people who were involved in slave trading, adulterers and adulteresses, evil kings, murderers, illegitimate people, drunkards, rebellious people, prostitutes, and people who were brought into this world through an incestuous relationship. And they were included in the Christmas card. They got on the Christmas list. Okay, and that's kind of cool. So it should encourage you that, okay, that means your family gets invited too. Or maybe you looked up and said, my family ain't as bad as I thought. Okay? And so it should have encouraged you looking at that first Christmas. But the point of that is this. Jesus doesn't ignore, sweep under the rug, walk away, hide from the messes of the world. Jesus just dives in. Jesus steps into the mess of the world, and that's what Christmas really is. It's a God who loves us all beyond the messes of our life. That's good news, isn't it? Because we all got that stuff. We all look like some of those scandalous, sketchy um, people that Matthew included in that first genealogy. And we also learned that the fact that Jesus invades or steps into the mess, it, it reminds us that we're not products of our environment. We live in a world that wants to say we're all to, to, to uh, um, claim a victim status, you know, that I, I am who I am because of the environment that I was raised in. That's not true. Don't get me wrong, your environment can affect your life, but you are not a product of your environment. You are a product of the experiences and the victories found in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And God declares that upon your life. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, you're wrong. Because in Genesis, in Genesis, we see a perfect picture of that. Adam and Eve, perfect, sinless, walking with God, communicating with God, dominion over the animal kingdom, naked and unashamed. I mean, it's right. It is perfect. It is the garden of perfection. How did it turn out for them? They weren't products of their environment. They were products of the rejection of God's love and instruction for them. And it's the same for us today. Now, because we are products uh, of, of who God is in our life and the victories we experience in Jesus, sometimes it doesn't land where it should because we simply are not obedient to Christ and we do not do what we're supposed to do in terms of living a life for God. So Christmas includes the messy. Number two, we saw last week that Christmas involves a message. And this was really sweet that it points out in Scripture uh, that there's a message behind Christmas. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's a message from God to you. Tell the person sitting near you, hey, it's to you. Christmas is to you. That's good. It's not for your children, they like it a lot. You know, it's not for your spouse if you get them what they want. I mean, they love you for that. But Christmas is a message from God to you. And, and we saw the message was pinpointed. It was first to Mary and then to Joseph. 
Uh, it was to the prophets and the shepherds and the wise men. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we saw it kind of funneled down to the root of the message. And it said, uh, I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. And so we, we looked at that. We dove into that. And if you look at it in the Greek, the Greek word is an amazing word. It's euangelizo, which means the message of the gospel. Christmas is about Jesus diving into this messy world to offer redemption. That's what Christmas is really about. And, and so we talked about that last week. So Christmas includes the messy. It involves a message. It's really fun. We're going to learn some stuff today and be drawn back to that first Christmas. And it's point number three. Christmas invades the messes. And so to do that, we got to consider the, the storyline for Jesus' birth, God's arrival on this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And when we look at that, it doesn't look like what we think it looks like, and it sure doesn't look like a Hallmark movie, and it doesn't look like a Christmas special, and it doesn't look like what we have in our minds preconceived about the first Christmas invading the mess of the world. Uh, we consider first that it's a Jewish family that Jesus would be born into. Now, the Jewish family knew Jewish tradition, history, and scripture. They were taught that. They would memorize books of the Bible in the Old Testament. They were serious about understanding who they were and where they had come from and how God had engaged with them in accomplishing miraculous things over time. At the same time, they knew that in their history included a whole lot of disobedience. They saw miracle after miracle and probably just as much disobedience. But they also, when they looked at it, they said, you know, our history includes a real mess. We've, we've been held in captivity and bondage to people like uh, Egypt. We've been in captivity to Assyria, Babylon, the Persians, Greeks, Egyptians again, the Syrians. And now ultimately to, in the day that Jesus would be born, they were still in captivity. Only now it's under Rome. They haven't been exiled to a foreign country. They're home, but they're owned by Rome. And so it's in this context that, that something significant happened. They knew their failures. They knew their successes. They knew the days, the seasons when they were obedient to God. They knew when they weren't. They knew the ups and downs of Jewish life. That's where they were. And it was into this that Jesus uh, comes along. And so out of all the times that we would ever pick, it wouldn't look like this. If you're God, if I'm God... I'm kind of selecting a season when things are a little better. When politics are a little calmer, people are a little happier, they're getting along a little better, it's going to be a little more conducive for me to wrap myself in baby form and show up, right? And that's not what God does. God picks the terrible time to do the most significant thing to that point in time that he had ever done. And so... When we consider it, how bad was this day? You hear the context, so how bad was it? Well, number one, I want you to realize that it was a, they had, had left a season of silence from God. God had been quiet for 400 years. Now, up to that point, since mankind began, God spoke to people. He chose Abram and said, hey, I'm going to make you the people that I introduce myself to the world through. In fact, Abram, you're going to have a baby who's 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 going to have a baby that's going to save the world. 
And so he's had this conversation. He spoke to them directly, audibly. He spoke through them through fire. He spoke to them through angelic presence. He spoke to them through Christophanies, which is Jesus showing up before he really showed up in the flesh. He spoke to them through prophetic words. He's spoken and spoken and spoken. And yet the Old Testament ends with a prophet whose name is Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi. And after Malachi got his word from God, crickets, not a word from God for 400 years. It's a long time for a people who had regularly heard from God. And so it's interesting to note, and I would encourage you to go back and read Malachi. Malachi's letter from God, the last word that God gives to Israel and to the world is a letter of rebuke. It's not an encouraging letter like y'all are killing it. I'm glad I picked you. You're awesome. Thanks for being so obedient. Obedient. Thanks for sharing the light, my light to the dark world. No, it's not that. He addresses religious idolatry, the fact that they were ref refusing to be faithful to God, to his name, and to his temple, that men were being unfaithful to their wives, and marriage was losing its value. They had begun to, begun to accept every form of evil and called it good. They had become greedy and stopped giving the Lord his tithe. And they refused to serve God because they saw no personal benefit. In a nutshell, that's the last message that this world had from God. And 400 years of silence had followed. But at the end of that letter, he says these odd words in verse 5. Malachi records, look, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. He will encourage fathers and their children to return to me so that I will not come and strike the earth with judgment. Now, Jesus referred to John the Baptist as Elijah because he came in spirit and power. So the forerunner of Jesus was John the Baptist, a miraculous birth through Elizabeth and Zechariah, and you can read about that. And then Jesus shows up. So now, 400 years of silence, the silence is broken, and God begins to speak again and to do something significant. And so they, 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 hadn't, they hadn't received anything from God, and yet now God is on the move again. It is in this silence and in this mess of a world. 400 years later, when culture had not gotten better, it had not evolved, it had devolved, and only became more ungodly. Because I want you to understand something. The only thing that changes the human condition is the word of God in its truth and in its entirety and in its application. You see, the word of God spoken doesn't change your life. The word of God applied, applied radically changes your life. And when the word of God enters your life and my life and it begins to, begins to change our our. our uh, actions, our hands and feet are changed, our words are changed. We begin to impact the world. It's not changed by politicians. It's not changed by academia. It's not changed by material um, uh, success. It's not changed by those things. It's changed by the word of God spoken and applied in our life. And so now after 400 years of none of that, none of that, the world had declined. It had gotten worse. And it's into this messy condition that Jesus baby Jesus shows up. The number two, I want you to know that it, it, the, the messiness of the world looked like political oppression. 
You see, in Luke chapter 2, it records that a census is being taken by Caesar Augustus. Now, the goal of the census is to get everybody in a region to show up in their hometown, register for one reason. What, two reasons? The first reason is really insignificant. He's wanting to know how many people are in that region. But the reason he wants to know how many people is in that region is because he wants to count chickens before they hatch. He wants to know how much resources, financial resources, how much taxes he will be receiving from a given area. So he makes people come to their hometown to register. Now, it's a reminder to Israel, we are not our own. We are reporting to somebody else. God is no longer in real control over us. We report to Rome. And so it's, it's this kind of political oppression. In the streets of Palestine, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, what we call the Holy Land, the Middle East, it would look much like it does today. There would be armed soldiers in the street. Now, they wouldn't be like now, 16 to 20-year-olds carrying automatic weapons. It would be people who had been given the authority of Roman rule, carrying a spear and a sword, implementing the laws of Rome. That is the context that God would wrap himself in babiness and show up in this world. Number three, inside the nation of Israel, under the oppression of Rome, you've got Israel, which is a divided country. It's it, it, political divisions, uh, uh, groups who are wanting to be large and in charge over the whole thing. And there were four of them at play trying to be in charge. There were the Pharisees, and they resided in Jerusalem. Their, their goal was to shape culture by a legalistic um, application of the Old Testament law. So they were zealots about the law, and they had a whole catalog of laws way beyond what God had given to administer in the lives of a Jewish person. A group that stood in opposition to them would be a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they called the, uh, the Pharisees zealots. They called them legalistic, and they stood against that. They adopted uh, ideas from, from Greece that would kind of compromise. Like, why can't we all just get along? Oh, we need to be good to God, but we can also be <clears throat> good to the king. We don't have to obey all the laws. We can just live our lives. And, and the whole angel, we don't really believe in angels. We don't believe in a resurrection. We don't believe in some of the things that the Pharisees believe in because that's just way out there. They were at play trying to gain a, a crowd to follow them. The third group were called the Essenes. The Essenes lived in a commune near uh, Qumran. This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were at. These were scribes who would <clears throat> write and preserve the law of God. Now, they weren't a Pharisee. They weren't a Sadducee. They just held on to the word and only the word. And they would pray that God would overthrow Rome. And then you have a fourth group, which is called the Zealots. <clears throat> The zealots were a military band of brothers that said, you know what, Rome is not of God and we are of God, so we're going to take up the, the spear and the sword and the shield and we're going to fight and overthrow Rome. So all of these divisions are found in Jesus' family, right? And so because of that, you had riots, you had tension, you had family breakups because of all of these different positions um, within the Jewish family and the Jewish culture. So number four, we find out the one that I think is the one most overlooked. You ready? Inconvenient third trimester 
travel. Ain't nobody talked about that. I've never heard a preacher talk about inconvenient third trimester travel. What are we talking about? We're talking about a young girl. Theologians and historians suggest that Mary was probably 13 to 15 years old. Now, before you say, oh, scandal, okay, that was common because their lifespan was much shorter than it is today. And so people got married earlier and began their families. But what we're talking about is a teenage girl and her young husband. And she's carrying a baby that's not his. It's his. And so they're talking about it, and it's third trimester. Women understand third trimester once they've had a baby. Men, we watch it. I joke about that. I say, you think it feels bad. You ought to have to watch this, right? Now, don't throw no rocks at me. I'm kidding. It's awful. That's why women have babies. If men had babies, they would have had one and done. There would be no population, no procreation, okay? So I got to thinking about this whole thing. Third trimester travel. What is that? They were going, they were in Nazareth going to Bethlehem over a hundred miles. And no big deal, right? That's like going to Chattanooga or something, right? You jump in the SUV, you're there in an hour and a half, right? No biggie, right? No, they didn't have an SUV. They didn't have a plane. They didn't even have suspension. What they have? A donkey. That's what they had, all right? And so they're going to travel a hundred miles via donkey across mostly undeveloped roadways. And they were forced to do this by the law. They didn't have an option. And so I got to look and I did some research because I don't understand third trimester. I did some research. This is what third trimester life looks like. It says in the third trimester of pregnancy, uh, it marks the home stretch. I thought that was a funny thing, like a pun. Yeah, the home stretch. You know what I'm saying? And leaves marks to prove it. All right, I'm just saying. It goes on and it says, as you prepare for the delivery of your baby, the baby is continuing to grow in weight and size. And its body systems are finishing maturation. And you may feel more uncomfortable now as you continue to gain weight and begin to have false labor contractions. And during the third trimester, especially if it's your first child, it's, good, it's a good idea to start taking childbirth classes in preparations for the big day, such as Lamaze. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I bet Joseph did that. Because he's the stepdaddy to the king of the universe. And he's going to career it. He's going to get a trophy every year, dad of the year. And so she's, she's entering her ninth month. And he says, hey, baby, we're going to have this baby. It's around the corner. I've got a schedule for Lamaze. We're going to go down there and learn how to breathe and practice giving birth to the king of the universe. Is that a good plan? He didn't do that. He didn't have a clue, right? He did not have a clue. And so there was no Lamaze class. There was no preparation for her first baby. They were new at this. So I got, kept reading. It says, as the baby grows in size, it begins to crowd out the abdominal cavity. And some mothers-to-be have difficulty taking deep breaths or getting comfortable at night for sleep. Or possibly riding 100 miles on a donkey. Now, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking. If it's hard to breathe sitting in a recliner, riding a donkey 100 miles, you ain't breathing. Okay? And then, in my research, I found this list. I didn't make this up. This is research. 
It says in the third trimester, the baby radiates body heat, causing you to feel hot from increased skin temperature. Hello? (laughs) The increased urinary frequency returns due to increased pressure being placed on the bladder. That's the thing about this. Donkey ride. Joseph, Joseph, I have to pee again. (laughs) Joseph's like, we're on a donkey. I can still see where you peed last time. (laughs) Right? Anybody ever talked about that at Christmas time? No. I never thought about this. Because we have a different idea. We skip all that to find ourselves at the manger scene in all of its glory. Right? It took more than that to get there. It goes on. It says, blood pressure may decrease as the fetus or the baby presses on the main vein that returns blood to the heart. Swelling of the ankles, hands, and face may happen, called edema. As you continue to retain fluids, leg cramps may happen more often, and false labor may begin to happen at irregular intervals in preparation for childbirth. (laughs) I like this one. Dry, itchy skin may persist, particularly on the stomach, as the skin continues to grow and stretch. (laughs) You getting this? I'm on a donkey ride, right? She's scratching and rubbing and peeing, right? <laughs> Swelling. The next one, I didn't, Kendra said I couldn't say it. I'm going to say it. Constipation is the next thing on them. She, she constipated and itching and miserable and cramping and having contractions. And men, you're Joseph, daddy of the year. Got your new bride on a donkey for 100 miles. That's what, Chris, that's what the first Christmas looked like. Chris, we're talking Christmas Eve. You thought yours was messed up. <laughs> it goes on. It says some other things. Varicose veins. And the last thing it says, donkey excursions are not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> I said that. It didn't say that. I said that. The research didn't remember. Okay. Have you ever really thought about that? It's not like she just did a pregnancy test. Oh, I'm pregnant. We got nine months. We better head down there to Bethlehem. No. It's the last days of the last uh, trimester. Because when she gets there, Jesus is born. Also, there's no room for the first real Christmas. Joseph, the stepdad, he has no MasterCard or AAA or Holiday Points Club. He shows up when they're taking census at the last minute in the midnight hour and failed to make reservations. They got no place to stay. And so in Luke 2, 7, and this is the record of it. There was no place for them in the end. Everybody was there, including the king of the universe, still in his mother's womb. And rather than being in fine accommodations, they find themselves with the animals in a stable, laying before a feeding trough. Not only that, the mess of the Christmas, first Christmas included politics that devalued life itself. Hostile forces such as Herod was in place and they, va- they did not value life. In fact, Herod was so threatened by his own family that they would try to take his throne, that he had members of his own family murdered. And now he gets the message that there's a king being born. 
the king of the Jews, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Now he's really threatened. So what does he do? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it arose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. His idea wasn't to worship him. His idea was to extinguish him. Herod had no problem with killing babies. It was in this context, in this mess of a world, that God would wrap himself in babiness and show up to rescue us from our condition. We read on, and it says in Matthew 2.16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, in other words, they didn't tell him where Jesus was, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. We get upset. We should be upset. Everybody in here should be upset that in America this year we will, we will terminate approximately one million babies through abortion. Herod said, I don't care. As long as they're uh, two years old or younger, I want them gone, the boys. Because I'm going to get rid of this baby king. That's the context. Now, that doesn't make any sense when you think about it. If you're God, if I'm God, and I'm wrapping myself in babiness and going to enter the world, I'm picking a little bit of more of a conducive time, right? I'm going to pick a time when maybe po politically everything is a little bit more at peace, Maybe culturally there's not factions at play trying to take over the nation. Uh, maybe I'm going to schedule a little bit baby for, a little bit better for myself uh, to have some, a few days to relax before I leave the womb and enter the world. That's not the way God does it. You see, God paints a picture of Christmas. God paints a picture of a messy, messy, messy Christmas. And that's when he chooses before the foundation of the earth to show up in all of his glory. It wasn't an accident. The timing was not a surprise to God. You see, before God created the earth and before God created mankind to roam the earth, God knew his plan to want to give mankind the freedom to choose and to watch them reject his law. Only so on his appointed day, he could show up in a virgin womb, travel a hundred miles on a donkey, lay in a stable, in a manger, and change the world. It wasn't a surprise. In fact, 
In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it's as if God looked at his eternal calendar and he said, hey, do you all see in heaven? He's saying, do you see what's coming up? The day. Yeah, yeah, that day. Yeah, Jesus, that day when you go down there, it's coming. It's right around the corner. You see, in Galatians 4, 4, it says, but when the appropriate time had come. Isn't that an odd phrase for all that we just described? When the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. Christmas invades all of the messes of our life. Yours. Tell the person at the table, he's, he knows about yours. Because <laughs> we all have them. Let's just own them. He invades them. He, he, he invades a season in your life, maybe when you are far from God, and it just seems like God is non-existent, and there's silence in your spiritual world. Uh, maybe you turn on the news and you see the political lunacy, and you realize... How can I enjoy Christmas when I see all that's going on politically? And we look around and we see divisions, uh, socioeconomic divisions and racial divisions. And, and we say, how can Christmas impact that? Or maybe the in inconveniences of all, your schedule, your shopping, your work, your children. And all of a sudden, you don't have room. There's no room in your life for Christmas. That's when God shows up with Christmas. Isn't that so God? That at what we see as the worst opportune time, God sees as the most opportune time. When, everything, when the time was appropriate, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. God does things we don't do because he's God. Now, all of that, the motivation for all of those points, the motivation for the genealogy, the motivation for the way God did it through Mary and her trip to Bethlehem, the, 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 the message of it all, speaking to the angels, speaking to the wise men, speaking to all of those people, there's a point of it all. It is all designed to culminate, are you ready? With an invitation to the Messiah. An invitation, a personal invitation to the Messiah. That's what Christmas was given for. Now, Christmas invites to the Messiah is point number four. We read the genealogy name after name after name and all of them different, different backgrounds, different strengths and weaknesses, choices, successes, failures, just different lives. Faithful men, shysters, fornicators, prostitutes, Jews, Gentiles, racial diversity, good kings, adulterers, adulteresses, murderers, ungodly kings, extremely poor, the extremely wealthy. And then it narrows down and an invitation is given to Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men, but the invitation goes on. And this is so cool. And this is for you. And this is for me. What would compel a Jewish man named Matthew 
to write all of the mess in the story. Couldn't he have like edited it a little better? Couldn't he have cleaned it up a little better to describe a better picture for God to show up in? What would compel him to include all the mess? Well, first of all, he wrote what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. Scripture says that God's word, I believe it's infallible, inerrant, and eternal. Scripture says it is in the Greek called the theonoustos, the breath of God. Matthew, a Jewish man, would write what the Holy Spirit pressed upon his heart. But I think God chose Matthew to write that scandalous genealogy because of all of the disciples and quite honestly all the people he could have chosen to write that gospel he knew Matthew would understand the beauty of an invitation to the Messiah in a mess like that why? why? because Matthew came out of a mess like that. See, in Matthew 9, Matthew describes how he became a disciple and ultimately how he would become an author to the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 9, beginning in verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. That's a little odd. He's a Jew sitting at a Roman tax booth. And Jesus said, follow me so he got up and he followed him verse 10 as Jesus was having a meal in Matthew's house many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his disciples verse 11 when the Pharisees saw this they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners when Jesus heard this he said those who are healthy they don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this saying means. I want mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is so amazing. Matthew described the messiness of the first Christmas because Matthew had a personal invitation out of his mess into an encounter with the Messiah he got it and Jesus nailed it for him right there Jesus answered the questions the reason Matthew is having dinner with me the reason I'm at his house is because he was sick and he needed healed he was unrighteous and he needed redeemed he didn't come for everybody else. He came for the ones who are in a mess. I want to tell you something today. One of the biggest problems in Christendom today is that we think we got it all figured out and we're doing really good. And I, I, I'm doing real good all by myself, but I'll take a little Jesus to hell. You'll go to hell in that position. It's not you plus Jesus. It's Jesus and his invitation and your response to his invitation into his holiness into his perfection into his redeeming blood 
It's not Jesus come into my life and fix the parts of me that are broken. It's Jesus come in and take over because I am completely broken. The invitation that was given to the Messiah to come and be part of the Messiah was given to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. It was given to Matthew. And 2,000 years later, that invitation to the Messiah is given to you and to me. And we've heard the story before. And many of us have made commitments to parts of that story. We, we've heard the invitation and we've responded at some level. Somebody maybe told us if you'll just say a prayer, a simple prayer, and receive the Messiah, everything's good. But we've never come to a place where receiving his invitation changed the way we live our life. And that we're living in a lie. You see, Matthew had been given a job working for the Roman government. He was still a Jew, and he had a tax booth. And the, and the setup was like this. Matthew, you're an intelligent man. We want you to be a tax collector for us. You know, there's no salesmanship required. We will require that everybody come to your booth. And when they come to your booth, you tell them how much they owe us. And we're telling you, this is how much we're going to collect from you. But whatever you charge over and above what we tell you we want, it's profit margin for you. So no doubt, Matthew had tasted wealth, prosperity, material accumulation. Matthew was respected among the tax collecting side, but he was hated among the Jews. And when Jesus showed up at the tax booth, when Jesus showed up in the mess of his world, now you... Your world, your mess looks different than Matthew, no doubt. But when Jesus showed up at Matthew's mess, he gave him an invitation to the Messiah. He said, hey, Matthew, I want you to follow me. By name, not a general call, pinpoint. It had a name, Matthew, I want you to follow me. Jesus didn't say, while you're sitting at your tax booth, I want you to just say a little prayer, confess your sin, and get your ticket out of hell. That's not what he said. He invited him to follow him. Now, I'm telling you, this is a hard truth. The church is full of people who have heard the invitation and said they received the invitation, and they never left the tax booth. They never left their mess. You see, to be redeemed, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it means we say, Jesus, uh-oh, you found me. And you know my mess. And I'm not sure why you're inviting me to follow you, but I will. 
and we exchange our mess for a Messiah. That's what it is. And I'm telling you, this Christmas, Jesus is still in the business of inviting us out of the mess into himself. And there are those in this room today that I pray for, and I don't know who it is, that have never been saved. They've never received the invitation and followed Jesus. You see, often in the church today, in, the, in Protestant churches, we talk a lot about salvation, but we downplay lordship. The Bible is very clear. A demonstration of our salvation is lordship. When we're truly saved, meaning we're truly, we've truly received him into our life, we can't help but to demonstrate that by following him. We become obedient to him. Our number one goal now in life is to follow Jesus. I want you to know today, it's Christmas season, and Jesus is still inviting people to himself. The Bible says in John 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to listen to me. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what my tomorrow is or your tomorrow. Jesus could return today Jesus could call me or you home today. God has placed in me a burden to share the truth of the good news that brings great joy to you. And it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here today and you've had some level of religion or some level of spiritual experience or journey but in this moment, on this day, it's different. You didn't come here for that. But on this day, you feel an invitation from Jesus for you to come to him. I can't generate that. That, that only comes through the Holy Spirit. And maybe you realize today I have a religious practice or have some religious knowledge but if I died today, I am not confident in my salvation. So on this day, I want to receive the invitation of Jesus. I want to receive it. I want to give myself to him, and I want to follow him from this day through eternity. If that's you today, nobody's looking around, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to tell you to come up here. I just want to see you raise your hand if that's you on this day. Okay? Okay? Well, maybe, you're, maybe in feeling that today, you wonder what is the next step. It is a matter of commitment to the Lord in prayer. It is a matter of saying, God, I know my life is a mess. I... I am the sick person that you came to heal.
So God, today, I want to exchange all of my mess for all of your perfection. Come into my life and radically change me. Give me a new, make me a new creation. Give me a new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I, like Matthew, want to walk away from my mess of a past and follow you from this day forward. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me on this day. Now, for most of us, we've already made that commitment to Jesus for him to save us and for us to follow him. It's my prayer today that as we enter this Christmas season, you will realize, like I have, that the first Christmas morning was not an insignificant event. It did not come in perfection and tranquility. It came right into the middle of the mess. And maybe this year, you need Jesus to invade your mess for Christmas. He will. He will. Father, we thank you for choosing to love us in the middle of our mess, but loving us too much to leave us in that mess. God, we thank you that like you did for Matthew, you invite us out of the mess. You invite us on a new journey to walk with you, following you through all of eternity this walk will remain. God, it's my prayer for those who may have received you today, accepted your invitation. It's my prayer that they will make that public, that they'll let me know so I can help them, they'll let their family know, and that they'll follow you in believer's baptism. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we're, our hearts this Christmas will rejoice because you are raising us up out of the mess for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.